Thank you. Thank you, guys. Appreciate you guys coming here from Winchester to help us out. All the way from Winchester. I've known Braden since he was little. And we used to work youth up in Winchester Church of God. And uh, I remember him coming in and just see who he is now and the man that he's become. And, and Lena Orndorff, most of you know her parents, Scott and Stephanie from Winchester. Um, she's better than both of them when she comes to singing. <laughs> Appreciate you being here, Lena, and, and coming down here and blessing us this morning with worship. While our worship leader, Alexis, is still waiting on a, a baby. It's, she's one week late, and um, it's okay. Like I was talking with uh, Janice earlier, you know, eventually they do come out. I haven't... <laughs> seen many mothers that have been waiting years for their child to come out that would that's just never happened so we're thankful and for those of you that don't know me my name is John and Alexis is my daughter-in-law so it is our grandson that is also being born and we're excited for our second grandchild amidst all the chaos of COVID-19 um, that's such a blessing to us and we're so thankful yeah and thank you all for your prayers and so we're in the middle of this series that we're calling Jesus 2020. With everybody else that is advertising for um, a place at the table in government, we're advocating Jesus 2020. Because we need Jesus more than ever. Now, it doesn't mean you go vote for him or write him in on the ticket. If you want to do that, that's fine. But I would suggest that you pray about who you want to vote for and vote. However you want to vote, it's something we need to do. And, you know, Christians are the worst at voting, unfortunately. We need to get out and vote. It's okay. And a lot has happened since we met last week already. I mean, it's, this is going to be the theme for the rest of the, this month, you know, as we're gearing up, especially in our country with, with the elections. And, of course, how many of you watched the first debate on TV? I lasted about... Um, I watched an hour of it, and it's discouraging just all around on how much we can't even communicate with each other anymore. I don't care what party. I'm not talking party lines. I'm just talking about the whole thing was just a fiasco and um, not good. But that's kind of where we are. That's kind of the atmosphere these days, just so much, you know, on both sides, people just fighting and debating and... Nobody wants to yield any of anything, even the truth, even, you know, what actually is fact. People don't want to yield that if it contradicts what they want to believe. The Bible warns us of these times, too, so it's no surprise. And then we heard the president and first lady, first lady contacted COVID this week, and they're doing okay. Just pray for them and, and the staff around them and, and some others have it. It just makes everything a little bit more complicated and um, unfortunately, people take, take that and they do whatever they want with it and they spew hatred because of this. And it's just, we, we're just tired of it. I, I am all around, just in general. Our only hope is Jesus, really. There's, there's no man that's going to come out and, and just fix all this. We need him. We sure need him today. 
And today our text is from Hebrews 13.8 from the New International Version. And it simply says this, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. In a world where values and morals are consistently adjusted to fit in to the current culture or climate, it is comforting to know that Jesus remains the same. We don't have to refigure him out every once in a while. We know who Jesus is. Jesus is the same. It's one of the most familiar verses in the Bible. Every one of us should know this, and we should repeating it, be repeating it to ourselves and others. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's not going to change. He's not going to yield. He's not going to bow to anything. Today, we're going to go through the entire book of John, word by word. No, we're not. But we are going to look at the book of John. For me, the book of John, not just because it's my name, but, but John, the, the way he writes and the way the story develops there, it's really, really picturesque. If you really want to get a good sense of, if you're a visual type person and you want to understand who Jesus is and, and you want to look at the New Testament, start with the book of John. It's just a, a great way to read through who our Lord and Savior is. And we're going to do that today, but I am going to summarize, I promise. There are 21 chapters in John, and each, each chapter we uncover something about Jesus that we can hold on to, the character of Jesus. Starting in verse 1, chapter 1 of John, it says, In the beginning, the Word already existed. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. So in chapter 1, Jesus is the Son of God. In chapter 2, he is the Son of Man. And here we have a scene illustrating his perfect humanity with a um, hanging out with a group at a marriage in Cana. He was with social. He was socializing with them, and when he ran, when they ran out of wine, they were wondering what to do. And his mother nudged him and said, "You you make this happen." He said, I don't, I, I don't want to do that. And he said, okay, mom, I'll do it for you. <laughs> he ended up giving in. That shows us that he is a son of man. He's like us. He, he's with humanity. He understands you. He understands the pain that you're going through now. You're suffering. He understands all those little things that we think we're the only ones that know. And in chapter 3, he is the divine teacher. When he was confronted with this person named Nicodemus, who was, quote, a master of Israel. In other words, he knew the Torah, first five books of the Bible, he knew that, that we call the Bible, he knew that in and out. He knew the law. He knew God. He knew everything. But Jesus would school him on something. Because Jesus tells the people that are around him, he said, listen, the only way you're going to get to the kingdom of God is you need to be born again. We kind of know what that means, most of us. But in this case, Nicodemus had a question. He's like, how... How, do, how does that happen? He's thinking physically. So use your imagination. It is impossible. But Jesus was telling him, listen, if you don't know this, then you don't really know who your God is. He schooled this guy. Jesus is the divine teacher. 
He's teaching those who thought that they knew everything about God, and he's doing that today. In chapter 4, he's the soul winner. He was led to a place where he met a Samaritan woman. She was asking him some questions. Jesus was thirsty. And with a simple glass of water, cup of water, he explained to her exactly who he was. And she went on and believed and went into her town and told everybody about him. In chapter 5, he's the great physician. A man had been suffering for an Ill, with an illness for 38 years. I'm getting feedback, so I'll back up a little bit. A man had been suffering for 38 years with an illness. He was sitting in a pool of water. He was sitting near a pool of water. They had this pool of water in there that people would go if they needed healing in their body. And they would go, and Jesus simply looks at him and says, Do you want to be healed? Do you want to get well? And this man tells him, He said, I do, but. There's nobody that can pick me up and put me in the pool. So Jesus looked at him and he said, get up, pick up your mat and go. With that authority, the man instantly was cured of something that had plagued him for 38 years. He is the great physician. In chapter 6, he is the bread of life feeding many people with just a few loaves and fishes. Maybe you've heard this story before. Just a few loaves and fishes, he fed thousands of people. And it satisfied them physically. But more importantly, he told them that I am the bread of life. I am the one that will satisfy you. In chapter 7, he is the living water. He satisfies the thirsty heart. There is nothing else that can do this for us. We all have desires. We all have things that we want to do. We all have this inside of us that we just want to find ourselves, right? That's a good way to put it. That's, that's, that's what people say. I want to find myself. There is no way you can do that without the living water of Christ. In chapter 8, he's a defender of the weak. And here we have a scene of Jesus gallantly defending a woman who was caught in adultery. There were so many accusers of hers around. I always wonder, where was the man? You know, I, I, I know how adultery works. I mean, we, we know what that is. There's more than a woman there should be. So Jesus stands there in the middle of their accusers and tells them that they shouldn't be doing this. They have no right to. Well, in their steadfastness, they stood there anyway until Jesus started writing something in the dirt. We don't know what he wrote. He started writing things in the dirt, and after a while, they started leaving one by one. My thought is he's writing names of people that they have been with. He is the defender of the weak. This woman was caught in a sin, but being ready to be stoned to death by people who are just as sinful, and Jesus steps in saves her, and he says, go sin no more. In chapter 9, he is the light of the world. He demonstrates this distinction by bringing sight to someone who couldn't see. A man was there 
struggling with blindness for his whole life. And again, he comes and puts mud on his eyes. You know, Jesus did that a few times. He cured blindness a few times, different ways every time. I'd like to understand and know a little bit more about why he did it that way. We'll find out one day. But this one, he put mud on his eyes, and the guy opened up, and he could see for the first time in his life. And he went nuts. Who wouldn't? He's the light of the world. In chapter 10, he's the good shepherd. He watches over his flock. He keeps an eye on it. He, he is infinitely caring for his flock. He would do anything, and he would do anything, and he would end up giving his life for his sheep. In chapter 11, he's the resurrection of, and the life. He proves this by raising a person named Lazarus from a tomb who had been dead for four days. All he had to say is, come on out. And he came on out. In chapter 12, he is the king. He rides into Jerusalem on what we call Palm Sunday and is acclaimed, and he is proclaimed king for everybody that is standing there watching him ride in. In chapter 13, he assumes the place of a servant. We have this marvelous scene where he goes to his disciples. Jesus is their leader. They all know him. They, they, they know him by now. They've seen the miracles. They've seen the power. They know he's the son of God. And when Jesus kneels down to wash their feet, they freak out. You shouldn't be doing this. You shouldn't be, we should be doing this for you. He taught them an important lesson that a lot of us need to know and understand is that we need to be servants first. In chapter 14, he is the con um, consoler. <laughs> Sorry, I typed that wrong. He is the consoler. This is a point in time where Jesus is right on the cusp of being tried and crucified. It's very close, it's on his mind, on his heart. He had warned his disciples that he would be going away for a while. They didn't, they didn't take that news too well. They didn't know exactly what was going to happen, but they were distraught and they were saddened because this person that has poured into their life, the son of God that has been with them for almost three years, training them is going to go away. And they were, they were sorrowful and they were sobbing and Jesus took that time knowing what was coming next for him and comforted them in that moment. In chapter 15, he's the true vine. He is the source of all spiritual fruit for us. In chapter 16, he is the giver of the spirit. On his departure, he promised to send a comforter into the world and he would do that. We call that comforter the Holy Spirit. In chapter 17, he is the great intercessor. Intercessor, He offered up a wonderful intercessory prayer for the church prior to being crucified. And part of the prayer I want to read to you was meant for all of us. And part of his prayer says this. This is Jesus. He said, I'm praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. I pray that they will be one just as you and I are one, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you, and may they be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. In chapter 18, he's the model sufferer. When he's being arrested, 
one of his disciples tried to defend him and drew a sword and hurt somebody. However, Jesus told him to stop. Then Jesus does something so incredible. He submissively drinks the cup of woe passed to him by his father. That cup of woe was the arrest that would lead to his crucifixion. He submitted to that. I can't get that out of my head. He understood what needed to be done. He understood the suffering that was about to take place on his body. And yes, he was a son of God, but his body was a human body. He would feel everything. He submissively went knowing what was coming because there was no other way. In chapter 19, he is the uplifted Savior. He would be lifted up on a cross for us. He becomes obedient unto death, even the death of a cross. And in chapter 20, he is the victor over death. Four times he met and vanquished the king of terrors. Four times he brought people back to life while he was walking the earth. And this one, this raising of the dead of Jesus, was the most powerful and will be always the most powerful thing that we will ever see and witness because of it. Today, 2,000 years later, we have the opportunity to be with him once again. In chapter 21, he's the restorer of the remorseful. I really love this. He comes, if you, if you know the scripture, you know the story, you know the story of Peter and that he would deny Jesus three times when Jesus was being arrested because they were afraid. I can't, I can't blame, what's easy for us to blame him and say, oh, I can't believe Peter did that. But he would, be, he would have been arrested and probably killed at the same time. So the quick answer for him, did you know this Jesus would be, nope, never saw him. Peter denied him three times. Jesus knew it. He even predicted it and told it to his face. He said, I'd never do that. But Jesus is back. And when he sees Peter, and I love this, he not only forgives him, but he says, I want you to lead. I want you to lead my church. And I'm so glad because, I don't know about you, but I've messed up so many times even this week. And I'm not just saying that. I did. I do the wrong thing. I don't always choose the right thing. And sometimes it gets a little bit discouraging and I feel bad. And I remember that he is the restorer of the remorseful. We need that. I need that. This is the Jesus that we read about. This is the Jesus that we know. This is the Jesus that will never change. Nothing's going to change him. I don't care what cool thing hits our world or what trend is out there or whatever you want to imagine. And people said, well, that's just not, you can't believe in this Jesus because it just, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. If you don't know, that means infinitely. He cannot, nothing's going to change with him. We change. Our world changes. Our view of God changes. God does not, Jesus does not. 
He is still the son of God, despite what the deep thinkers and philosophers of the day would tell you. He is still the son of man. He felt what you felt. He feels what you feel, and he knows your pain and anguish and suffering today. So I'll wrap it up this way. He is still the divine teacher. We have the words right in front of us in what we call our Bible. He is still the soul winner. We cannot enter the kingdom of heaven without trusting and knowing Jesus. He is still the great physician. You can bring your pain. You can bring your illness. Anything you can bring to him, knowing that he has the power to heal you. He's still the bread of life, a full life, your best life, as they say. I want to live my best life. That is only possible when you allow Jesus to rule and reign in your life. Otherwise, it's just going to be empty. He is still the water of life. The things of this world will only temporarily satisfy us. In fact, the things of this world will constantly let you down. And they'll leave you thirsting for more, and you will not be able to find it. Jesus has come to me. He is still the defender of the weak. You are not powerless. You have a voice. You have access to the Father through prayer. And you know, and you know I've talked about this many times. There's no particular way to pray. You just talk to God. He wants to hear you. You don't have to position yourself a certain way. I talk to him throughout the day, just wherever I am, whatever I need. He is still the defender of the weak. He's still the light of the world. He opens our eyes to see, to see what he is doing. When we open our eyes to the Father, we see what he's doing, what he's about to do, and it, and it, it just gives us that different vision than what we see in the world because it's tempting to look at the world like I said in the beginning and it's discouraging to watch it's discouraging to see families broken apart and torn apart you know I'm just talking about in our country and of course across the world all these things and when we start seeing him through his lens seeing things we start to see patterns of hope and that to me that is important he is the light of the world still he is still the good shepherd He does not want one of us to be lost to the enemy. He's still the resurrection and the life, praise God. He's still the king. He still shows us why it's more important to learn to be a servant first. He died for you and me. The son of God humbled himself, became a man to do what he did for us. He is still the consoler. You can go to him in prayer. Tell him what's weighing you down, and he listens, and he encourages. He is still the true vine. Everything still flows through him. He is still the giver of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit has been sent to us. The Holy Spirit lives within you and within me. He is still the great intercessor. He goes to the Father on our behalf. Can you imagine that? We have, a, we have Jesus sitting near the Father. And when we pray, he leans over and says, I know him. I know her. 
He is still the model sufferer. No, no other can ever say that their decision to give up their life in whatever context would save many then and would save many now. He is still the uplifted Savior who has claimed victory over death. And he is still the restorer of the remorseful. And I love that again because we've all fallen short. And when we, when we turn to him and ask him for the forgiveness, forgiveness that we need, he is our faithful, he is faithful and just to forgive us. Jesus is the same. The same power, the same accounts of Jesus that we read in our Bibles are true today. And the same power that we read about exists today. And you and I need to know and understand this. Don't let the world tell you that all is lost. It might be for some in this world that are relying on the world only. But for us as Christians, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Do you ever read your Bible and just see those, and just picture in your head the healings and all these miracles that happen and just think, this is, this, is, this is incredible, but yet it feels so far away. That's the enemy trying to tell you, it is. There's, that doesn't happen anymore. It happens. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. It is for all time. All time. This is our Jesus. I really think we need to remember this today. I really think with all the crazy stuff going on and with all the b- double talk and with all the people changing their mind, whatever way the wind blows, because it's popular at the time. We have a Jesus that is steadfast and does not change. This is our Jesus. And he asks us to remember him often. And we're going to do that right now with communion. If you don't have your communion elements and want them, you can take them. We practice open communion here You don't have to be a member or anything. You can just take communion with us. But Jesus says specifically that he wants us to remember him. Which is sad to me because how could we forget? But today we're going to do this for the first time since we've been back together. And if, if you don't know how these work, it's... It's a little crazy, but you have to pull the top thing off first and then the bottom for the juice. So I'm going to try to do this while holding a microphone. So go ahead, go ahead and get your elements ready. So I'm going to read from, from Luke. It says, when the time came, Jesus and the apostles sat down together at the table. And Jesus said, I have been very eager to eat this Passover meal with you before my suffering begins. For I tell you that I won't eat this meal again until its meaning is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. This was Jesus before he knew what was going to happen to his body, that it would be broken and destroyed, humanly speaking, for us. And he sat with them and he said, I want you to take this and remember. They didn't know what was happening exactly. They would know soon enough. So today, as we hold the bread in our hands, let's pray. Father, I just thank you for 
sending your son to us. Lord, I, I pray that we never forget. We never, a day doesn't go by where we don't think about what your son has done for us. And Father, we, we are being obedient this morning and we were remembering your son and what he's done. And Father, we are so thankful that whatever you said and set forth yesterday is the same today and will be the same forever. Let's take our bread. And continuing in Luke, it said, after supper, he, meaning Jesus, took another cup of wine and said, this is the cup of the new covenant between God and his people. An agreement confirmed with my blood, which will be poured out as a sacrifice to you. Again, can you imagine the disciples at this point because they didn't understand that. They didn't understand what he meant. It was probably very confusing. We have the word, so we know what he meant. He would be beaten. That's not even a good enough word to describe what he went through for us because of a new agreement that would be confirmed because of it. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you again. And Lord, we... Sometimes we forget that he's your son and you sent him here and you knew what was going to happen to him. Because you have so much love for your people that you were willing to sacrifice him. May we never forget that. We thank you and we praise you. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Go ahead and take. I want to end with this song that we're going to do in a minute. It really